Once again, good morning. Uh, my name is Steve, and the pastor's here, and uh, so glad to be here with you all, um, especially those who are, who are guests and, and visitors here. Uh, we're so glad that you're here and, and glad to have you. Please know that you're always welcome in this place. Uh, thank you for, for trusting us. I, I know there's, um, maybe aside from trying to find a place to sit at the lunch table at a new school in junior high or high school, there's probably not much else that compares to walking into a church where you're, you're a guest, you don't know anyone, except maybe who you came with. And so I really appreciate you guys coming out and joining us. Uh, glad to be here with you all together. I want you to turn to your neighbor real quick. If you don't know them, you can introduce yourself. If you don't have a neighbor at the exact spot that you are, you can always just be that third wheel and poke your head between uh, another pairing of people or whatever. But just introduce yourself real quick. And I want you to answer this question. What is one of the favorite things about the fall? And yes, I'm being that guy who in the end of summer is already talking about fall. But go ahead, real quick, you can talk. And say, well, what's one of your favorite things about the fall? No, talk with each other. Talk, talk to your neighbors and share... What do you love about the fall? Right, so far, the, the, the person in the group that really enjoys talking has probably been able to share. So give the other person a chance to share real quick. Just share, what's something about the fall that you really love? Right. For me, if I, if I had to identify... A favorite season for me, it really is the fall. I'm not sure what, what your favorite season is. Uh, there's just all kinds of things I love about fall. There's things that are weird other times of the year that fit in the fall. Uh, chili is one of them. I mean, just chili at any other time of the year, it just doesn't really fit. There's just something odd about it. But you put it in the fall, and it's like, let's, let's do more chili. You know, let's do chili tonight for dinner. We just had chili for lunch. That's okay. Let's do chili again. Um, you just, you know, whatever you have leftovers, you plop it in and you got another kind of chili. It's, just, it's good. I really enjoy that part of the fall. I, I love fall weather. If you want to wear shorts, you can wear shorts. If you want to you know, put on five layers and put, you know, wear a wool hat, you can do that too. It doesn't matter because you kind of get, it, it just, it's that middle of the road. You can do whatever you want with the weather. I absolutely love that aspect of, of the fall. One of the things I really enjoy about fall is football. And I, I wasn't always that way. Um, I, I don't have the knowledge and the background on all the players and all the teams. Um, but you know, when you marry uh, someone who's a Packer fan and, and you're a Bear fan, it just, there's this instant just battle that, that goes on, uh, especially between your in-laws. It's fun. And it's, it's, it's even more fun when you see uh, your five-year-old and your two-year-old walking in the ways of light and, and uh, learning faith and prayer and those kind of things by being Bears fans and not going to the dark side. Um, <laughs> But uh, so I just, I, I love the fall. And, and so kind of in that theme, you know, we just started the football season and, um, you know, it, it's, it's uh, a little bit of a bummer that out of the uh, 16 games that the Bears are playing, 11 of them are noon starts, uh, noon start times. And so I do want to let you know, those who are here uh, right now in our 11 o'clock gathering, we have a nine o'clock gathering. And so if you are a big football fan and are boned about missing today, we have a nine o'clock gathering every Sunday. So you can always catch that. Um, also, anybody have DVR or TiVo? Okay, we got a few. Okay, look around. Those are the people you make friends with, okay? So if you really want to catch service, they're hosting lunch, and uh, just invite yourself over say, Steve sent me, and uh, hopefully it works out. Um, so that's what we got going on. Uh, but kind of in that, that theme, in that heart of, of, you know, the football season starting up, I thought I'd just kind of give you a, a play-by-play of the series that we've been walking through, because we're already at the end of our series. Uh, we've been walking through this series called No Pain and No Gain, Handling the conflict of, uh, Conflicts of Everyday Life. It's just been a, a short little three-week one, and uh, to, to really 
cover all that Scripture teaches about conflict and conflict resolution. I mean, we'd be here for half the year just walking through what this could look like. And so we've just kind of hit on a few of the big pieces. And if you've had any experience, any background in the church, these probably aren't new concepts to you, um, but they're, they're good ones to hear again. You know, it's, just, it's good to go back to the basics sometimes, just hear that again and, and, and hear it with new ears and, and, and with a fresh heart and um, just see what God has for us in that. And so hopefully it's been a, a blessing for you as we've walked through these different weeks. You know, we, we began talking about how conflict is ultimately birthed out of sin. Uh, we, we looked at James chapter 4 where it talks about how it's out of our sinful desires that quarreling and fights stir up. That these, This conflict between one another comes from our sinful desires. It's, it's when we uh, place our desires before God's. It's when we place our desires against God's. And really, uh, our response to that is to go to the source. And so if we're the ones causing the conflict, to identify the sin that's the source of that conflict, if someone else's sin is uh, causing conflict in our lives, to help to look to see what is the source of, what is the sin that is causing that, and to start there as far as how to move towards reconciliation. And in our own lives, we talked about how we should pursue the desires of God. And whenever we have a, a change in the heart, that's always something that takes a little more time, right? If you want to change your hat, you take one hat off and you put a new hat on. Uh, but if we want to change our heart, a lot of times it, it just takes a little bit of time. So if you, if you hear a lesson on uh, being more forgiving, you say, all right, God, I see your heart of, of forgiveness, and I see that you've forgiven me a lot, and, and I want to forgive out of response, and I want to forgive those who have wronged me. Um, but I just, I can't yet. I just, I, I'm not ready. I'm not there yet. And we, it, it takes time of continuing to pursue God and, and learn about who he is. And the more we see that, the better we understand that, we begin to have a change that takes place in our hearts. And so the more we pursue the desires of God and put those first in our life, the more that has a change in our lives that takes place. And so we need to put God's desires before our own, and then that will serve us in resolving conflict. We also see that God gives us grace in the midst of this as we're uh, seeking to deal with conflict. There's a, a song I've been listening to this week called Felix Culpa, and it's Latin for uh, fortunate fall. And it's kind of a tricky term because you think about what it's talking about. It's not saying that, uh, um, it's not celebrating the depth of our sin, the depth of our fall, but it's celebrating the, the, the depth of God's grace. That when you realize how, how much uh, our sin, the, the weight it carries, that also reveals how amazing God's grace is, that he would forgive us of that, that he would wipe the slate clean, and that uh, we repent again next time we sin and come before him, that again he wipes that clean, and we can continue to come to him uh, and continue to be forgiven. And there's a line in the song, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, and we continue to receive grace in our lives. It's a beautiful thing, and that will serve us to be able to see conflict resolved and deal with conflict in our everyday lives. But there's pain to work through that. Well, then last week, our, our uh, children's ministry director, Laura Thompson, uh, brought the message from uh, the book of Romans, talking about how forgiven people forgive. Now, I don't know about for you, but for me, it was, it was a great reminder just to hear that. And, and to be honest, uh, as I looked on uh, how much we've been forgiven and what is our response, uh, seeing how that's one of, of okay, we, sh- we should forgive because forgiven people forgive, um, to be honest, it kind of moved me to this place where I'm like, it's no longer this question that we started with of, well, should I forgive or not? But it comes to a point of a question of, will I obey or not? 
As a follower of Jesus, if I'm called to forgive, so it's not a question of will I forgive, but will I obey? Will, will I follow God's call in my life? Unfortunately, he set the example for us. We saw that, how he's laid down his life for us and uh, forgiven us of so much. Well, this week we're going to be talking about uh, really this overarching concept of, of no pain, no gain. And how really there are, are great pains that often precede some of the greatest gains in life. Probably one of the ones that comes uh, to mind for most of us right off the bat is childbirth. I mean, those are some of the hardest nine months of my life. Sorry. Yes, I did use that joke in the 9 a.m. and my, my wife was in the room and I, I didn't get hit, so I'm, I'm okay. But um, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine, the, the, you know, not you know, labor aside, even the nine months of just your body being a, per, a personal incubator system for another life. I and mean, that's just a, a, an amazing thing. And the, the pain and the, the, the uh, soreness and the aches and all that that goes along with that. And yet, so many moms and ladies are willing to try that again. Like, oh yeah, we'll go, we'll go through that again because the gain is so great and so worth it. This new life that is born out of that pain of labor. You know, we have all these shows on television, extreme weight loss, and uh, we have a, a culture that just wants to you know, uh, get in shape or do, you know, change that diet. And you know, really, there's, there's pain in that, of making those changes in our life, whether it's exercising more, whether it's um, going to the gym or um, changing our diet. And there's a pain uh, that's attached to that. And yet, the gain brings about more life, or a new life and health that's gained. Our work, Scripture teaches, there'll be uh, toil and labor in our work. Things won't happen easily, but they will have to tend to the ground. And um, you know, I experienced this. Uh, one of my goals when we had my first daughter uh, was I wanted to build their, their nursery and their, their crib and the changing table and all that. And so uh, I set out to build it. And thank God that Evelyn did not come premature. Thank God she didn't even come on time. She was actually about a week and a half late, and it was a godsend because I needed every last moment to finish that uh, crib. Now, my wife probably won't phrase it the same way. She was not as thrilled about the week and a half overdue, but um, it, it worked out in the end. And it was such a blessing for our family to be able to you know, go through that pain of, of, of that labor, to put that together, the toil, and yet to be able to uh, see the gain of having that in our lives. So there is definitely a pain in conflict. I mean, just when we're in conflict, right there, there's already a pain going on in our life. But to address conflict, to deal with conflict, it's almost like leaning into the pain. That's what it feels like, at least, right? It feels like this is going to be tougher, this is going to be harder to deal with if we lean into the conflict. It's easier just to sit back and, and just not deal with it. But that's actually a lie. Do we sit back and don't deal with it? It festers and it grows, and, and there could be a loss, a loss of relationship, a loss of unity, a loss of peace in our, in our lives. But when we understand the gain that's at stake, we can lean in and say, I'm willing to go through this pain because I know the gain that comes through it. That's my prayer for us this morning. My prayer is that we be motivated to go through any pain of resolving conflict in our lives as we desire and seek after the gain that comes. And what, what is that gain? We're going to be looking here in a moment at Matthew chapter 18 at a passage uh, starting in verse 15. And it has this line about how... Uh, when you confront someone, you, know, you go to resolve the conflict and they, uh, and they listen and there's a, a resolution. It says, you have gained your brother or sister, brother in Christ, sister in Christ. You've gained them back. 
But what a beautiful picture that is. You begin to look throughout Scripture and understand what that's talking about, that there's a, a sense of peace, there's a sense of unity, of restoration, of life change that's happening. That's a beautiful thing to gain. We see when people go through this pain of conflict resolution, and it, one of the gains is it leads to a testimony of life change that leads to life change. A testimony of life change that leads to more life change. Here's what I'm talking about. We had a, a marriage class about six months ago here at, at church, and uh, the couple that led the class had, had some great information. But then they began to share their own story. And they share how they were at the brink of divorce, how there was substance abuse and all these other issues going on in their marriage, and they were both ready to throw in the towel. Then God got a hold of their lives, and, and, and they, 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 they sought uh, for advice in his word and, and how to live according to the ways that God would lay out for them as husband and wife. And they followed him, and they found some tools to help them to follow that. And so all of a sudden you hear that story, and you hear the story of life change, and that, that carries a weight behind it. You're like, wow. I see how God's worked in their life, and it, and it gives us hope and encourages us to hang in there and, and to continue on. And so because of this couple going through pain and sharing that story of life change, it helps us to go through it in our own lives. And we see that in all kinds of different situations. And so uh, one of the other things we gain is a testimony of life change that leads to more life change. One of the things that can happen sometimes when we deal with conflict is, is someone having, finding new life in Christ. Someone who, who didn't know that Jesus died for their sins, or that maybe they did, but they never accepted that. Uh, they never said, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior, and they never surrendered their lives to him. But then by the way that we handle ourselves as followers of Christ and the way that we go about resolving conflict and, and humbly uh, coming before them and trying to live at peace with one another, maybe they see that in our lives and, and they see, hey, there's something different about the way that you deal with conflict. There's something different about the way you live. And they ask why, and you get a chance to share the truth of Jesus Christ. And uh, God moves in their heart, and there comes a point where they confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. And you have a new brother or sister in Christ. That's a beautiful thing to gain. And so as we unpack all these different things, as we, as we look at the peace and unity and restoration, sometimes even a strengthened relationship that can come through resolving conflict, man, it's worth it. It's worth it to go through the pain and to work through that to receive that gain. So let's jump into that text, Matthew 18, verse 15. Because honestly, have you had any conflict this week, this, this day? I'm, I'm sure it doesn't, we don't have to go back too far to think of some different conflict in your life, and uh, what was your initial response to that? You know, a lot of times for me, it, it's hurt, it's anger, it's frustration, it, it's the emotional response, and you know, really my heart is that we would very quickly move to this place of wanting to lovingly confront and deal with the conflict. And so let's focus on that here, how to do that. Matthew 18, verse 15. Uh, the Bibles you can use in front of you. If you need one of those, you can take it home, call it your own, put your name in it, mark notes in it. Anything you want to do there, it'll be on the screen as well. Uh, if you have a smartphone or a tablet and you want to use Wi-Fi, uh, there's free Wi-Fi in the building, so you can use uh, that for Bible app or anything. Any way to get the Word of God in front of you is our heart. Um, you know, really, don't just take our word for it, but, but check uh, to God's Word about what we're teaching here. So Matthew 18, beginning in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Quick little tangent background. Uh, the verses we're going to look at, Matthew 18, 15, 16, and 17, this is specifically uh, speaking about church discipline. 
where one person sins against another person. Uh, there's a few other witnesses to the event, and, and you, know, you can then go about resolving it through these steps. Um, now, there are all kinds of different conflicts. There's small things that we can excuse and just bear with one another out of love and just assume the best. There's major grievances that are life-changing and can have years of healing that need to take place. And while we can still move to a place of peace and forgiveness, maybe they'll never, you know, it doesn't mean that we'll always move back to restored relationship, right? If someone wrongs you in a serious offense, you can forgive them in your heart, but still not like to hang out with them or still not want to hang out with them. That, that still honors God as long as we love one another. We're not called to like one another, but at least to love one another. And so whatever the offense is, I mean, there's all kinds of different conflict, and we see all kinds of different ways to, to handle it in Scripture. But by looking at this picture of how to handle a, a church discipline, we're going to get a, a glimpse, I think, of uh, how we can deal with conflict in a general, generally speaking sort of way. So it begins with, if your brother sins against you. Now, the heart here is talking about this is how uh, a Christian resolves conflict with another Christian. You say, well, Steve, is that really that important of a, a differentiation? Well, well, it is, because there's a difference in the way that a follower of Christ should respond to conflict uh, if the person that, that the conflict is with is a, is a non-believer or is someone who, who believes that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And let me, understand, let me help you understand why. To someone who doesn't know Jesus... We are called to be ambassadors of Jesus, to share the good news, the, the scripture called the, the gospel of Jesus. You see, uh, if, you can almost think of it this way. If your non-brother sins against you, go and tell him about Jesus. So we just read, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. If your non-brother sins against you, go and tell him about Jesus. Because see, really, they have a, a more significant conflict in their life. They have undealt with sin. They, they, they haven't uh, dealt with the, the consequences of their actions who have gone against the word of God. They haven't trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And that conflict is number one in their life, whether they realize it or not. That's the most significant one. Think of it this way. Think of it as you're going through the parking lot, and all of a sudden someone backs into you, into your car. You get rear-ended. And just a little fender bender, nothing major, a little bit of damage to your car. And you get out of your car, and all of a sudden you realize the guy that did this to you, his car's on fire. Now, you would imagine, not, it's not a true story, I'm making it up, um, but you, you, know, you wouldn't be like, okay, well, let me go with my insurance card and get your information, and oh, excuse me, sir, can you, can you dig out your insurance? You know, we need to exchange this, I got my bumper fixed. No, you're going to be like, hey, get some water, we got to put this car out, we got to help this guy, because the, 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 the issue, the conflict that's happening, the one with the fire, is much more significant than the bumper. And so it's similar in that way we're in conflict with a non-Christian. The fact that they don't know Jesus is more significant than us getting our bumper fixed. Now I understand sometimes the offense can be much more significant or much more major than just a little fender bender. Maybe it's a severe accident and there's injuries. And we still have an opportunity. We can still address those offenses. We can still deal with those issues. We actually see in Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says this, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Live peaceably with all men. So I think that gives us a glimpse of how to interact with those that don't know Jesus, even in major offenses, to, as much as we're able to live at peace with them, which means we don't retaliate. It's not an offense for an offense for an offense back and forth, but after the offense, 
we go, you're forgiven. So we can live at peace with them. To someone who is a brother or sister in Christ, we're to judge actions and confront sin. So if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. How can you identify, how can you tell him his fault unless you've already made a judgment upon that fault as sin? And we're going to talk about there's some steps we need to take in that process. We say, well, hang on, Steve. I thought, doesn't the Bible talk about how we shouldn't judge one another? What we see here in 1 Corinthians 5.12, it says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the, the, the Christians in the Corinth church. Is for what, what have I to do with judging outsiders, those outside of the family of God? It is, not those, uh, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? As we look at the whole of Scripture, we see what he's talking about is as brothers and sisters in Christ, out of love for one another, we have a responsibility to one another to look into each other's lives and, and hold each other up to a, a place of holiness. Now, in that process, it needs to be done out of love. It needs to be done where we've examined our own lives first. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. And so there's some steps we need to take to make sure we're doing it in a, in a holy and, and righteous way. But yeah, we are, we are to judge one another's actions as brothers and sisters in Christ. So what does uh, Matthew 18 call us to do? Well, first thing it calls us to do is step one, is to go. It is a take action to, to step forward in the midst of the pain of conflict and the, the perceived pain of dealing with that conflict to take the step forward and to go. When we've been sinned against, that's the last thing we want to do. Think of the last time there was conflict in your life where someone hurt you, where someone sinned against you. Maybe they slandered your name, they're talking about you behind your back. Maybe they lied to you. Maybe they just blew you off. Broke a promise. Think about Whatever that is. What did you want? You wanted them to come to you. Say, hey, I'm sorry. I blew it. I hurt you. I let you down. I broke a commitment. Hey, I made you a cake. I'm sorry. I just want, I don't make cakes, but I want to give you a cake because I just want you to know I'm genuine. I'm sorry. That's what we want, right? But that rarely ever happens. Many times, the person that has wronged us or sinned against us, they may not even know that they've done that. They may not even know that we're hurt. And so if we're to follow Matthew 18, 15, we need to take a step of action. Go and tell. So we, we need to go. There's a step on our part, even if we're the one who's been sinned against. But if we don't do this, we just sit in our pain, and it just festers, and it rots, and it decays, and it breaks down relationships. It doesn't honor the word of God. It doesn't honor the family. God doesn't honor ourselves. But maybe you say, hey, but I've been here before with this person. Hey, this is, this is the second time we've done this. It's the same old story. Hey, it's the third time, fourth time. I mean, you really, I'm supposed to continue to, to forgive and continue to step forward towards them and say, hey, let's, let's go to a place of, of conflict resolution. Yeah. Luke 17, 3 and 4. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. You could say, well, see, this isn't talking about sinning against me. It's just saying if they sin. Well, how can we say, I forgive you unless it was against us? So you could say, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Because forgiven people forgive. And so as we go to someone to begin that process of conflict resolution, and if they repent and say, I'm sorry, we're to forgive. See, our concern must be for one another, right? As, as brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Because what does Scripture say? They will know we are Christians by our T-shirts, by our bumper stickers, by our Facebook posts. No, they will know we are Christians by our love. They will know we are Christians by our love. If you're trying to tell someone about Jesus and they're seeing how the church behaves and, and we're just tearing each other apart, why, why would they want to know more about Jesus? So the way that we handle conflict within, with one another will, will exemplify Christ, needs to exemplify Christ. And hopefully when we do confront, when we do go, hopefully they'll show that same love in return and repent and apologize and want to restore the relationship. But it's not just a, a step of going. Step one is actually one of going alone. We, we need to have either a face-to-face or a voice-to-voice conversation uh, to go to them and to go to them alone. Face-to-face, not Facebook-to-Facebook. So many times in conflict, I see people r- running to social media to vent to, to whatever they want to call it. I've never seen uh, social media when you're angry and hurt leading to less pain in your gain but just the opposite. It just fuels the fire. You draw people on your side and a line is drawn in the sand and the battle begins for who's right and who's wrong. And the battle is a winner and a loser. But when we go conflict resolution in a way that honors God, we can both win. There can be a gain of restoration. We're called to go and tell it between you and him alone. To go and tell him their fault. It's not to go and tell it on a mountain to whoever will listen. And, you know, sometimes we do that blatantly. We just, you know, we're gossiping, we're talking about people behind their back. It's like, you'll never guess what Steve did. He told me this, or he, he was such a jerk in, in how he handled this. We go and talk to everyone except that person. And sometimes we do it under the guise of, of righteousness. And what I mean by that is uh, we say, hey, you know what? I need some advice. You know, Steve did this to me, and he, he was just an absolute jerk. What would you do if Steve did that to you? Oh, I, I'm not gossiping. I, I just, I, I'm just looking for some advice. Or even we go even more, and we say, hey, could you pray for Steve? Because he's a real jerk. Oh, just, just pray for him. I, you know, I need a lot of people to pray for him, so I'll, I'll go tell a lot of people. All that is is gossip. All that is is gossip. We need to go directly to the person who has sinned against them. If you say, hey, but Steve, I, I need advice. I don't know how to do this. Here's your advice. Go directly to the person. Go directly to the person. Go directly to the person. Well, someone's talking to me, and I'm not the person. What should I do? Take them to the person. Here, I'll take you to Steve. You're right. He's a jerk. I'm just kidding. Um, hopefully I am. <laughs> take them to the person. Go to the person directly. I can understand that there are extreme cases. And we need to acknowledge that we have to look at the whole of Scripture to talk about conflict resolution. And there are times where this doesn't work. If there's been a case of abuse, we're not going to tell a child to go to an adult and say, oh, no, you need to have a one-on-one conversation with your abuser. No, that's foolish. And so there are some extreme cases. And so if the conflict that comes to mind for you are some really major grievances, I, I, I understand that there's some differences in, in how um, we address those. We're talking about just everyday conflict, how to handle that. Even if there's a case where, where, where there's a criminal action that's been a part of the conflict, 
It's okay to go to the authorities. It's okay to, to seek protection in that sense under the law. So with Steve, if, if I go to the, the, the authorities, isn't that removing any opportunity for grace and forgiveness? No. It does not negate that. You can offer grace, you can offer forgiveness, even while someone experiences the worldly consequences for their sin. You know, I began ministry as a youth pastor, and I heard countless stories um, about leaders in, in different states who would uh, abuse a child. It would come to light, and the church would address it, and they'd say, you need to step down from this role, and they'd make all these changes. They actually would say, you, you probably should leave uh, the church, but they would never press charges. That They wouldn't uh, um, say, you need to get help, and you're going to find that help once you get into the system. And um, They would say, you just need to leave. That person would go to a different state, where no one knew them, and they would have the ability to kind of repeat the offense. A lot of times, and you see this in the church, because we say we need to offer grace. We can still offer grace and still hold people to a standard of, hey, you know, we got to get the authorities involved in this. And so if those are the kind of uh, conflicts that you're going through, or you've been wronged by criminal offenses, yes, let's get the authorities involved. And then we can take the steps of, of forgiveness and restoration uh, between glass or behind bars. We can have those conversations still. So we need to go. We need to go alone. Uh, we need to go alone and book it. I'm kind of doing a play on words here with the book it part. First, do it quickly. Um, guys, we, we probably uh, struggle with this the most in the sense of, you know, you see a buddy who, who sinned against you, you punch him in the arm, and like, hey, we dealt with it, right? Cool. All right, deal. You know, seven years later, you know, you see him and you start crying like a baby, you don't know why, and you're like, I don't know what's wrong, he doesn't like me, why am I crying? Okay, maybe not. Um, but we, we just, we don't deal with stuff. Thank you. We just don't deal with stuff. And so we need to book it, we need to deal with it right away. But the other reason I'm saying book it is because we need to take it to Scripture. We need to go to God's word in the process that we're doing in a couple of different ways. We need to book our actions. We need to take our actions to the word of God. We need to look at ourselves first real quick. Before we begin to say, hey, here's a way that you sinned against me, we need to look, do I have a plank in my own eye and I'm pointing out a speck in yours? So here's what I'm talking about. Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So it's like this. So say you've been uh, you know, in a committed relationship with someone, you're married, and you've been having a little fling on the side for the past three years. And all of a sudden you find out that they lied to you about which dry cleaner they've been taking your shirts to. And you just are like, you're living. Hey, how dare you lie to me? You've sinned against me. You've been lying for the past three, four months. Or maybe you've been lying on your taxes for the past seven years. And all of a sudden, um, you know, someone lies to you about, about money they owed you or something. And you just, you uproar, how, how dare you lie to me? The second the offense is back on you, it becomes this major grievance when you've been lying to others. Whatever it is, I don't know. But when we're going to uh, confront someone about the way they've sinned against us, we need to first look at our own lives. And to see, hey, is there, is there a plank in my own eye? Do I need to deal with something? That does, again, that doesn't negate the way you've already been sinned against. That's something we still need to deal with. But you've got to take that plank out of your first eye, and then you can deal with the speck in theirs. So we need to book our actions. We need to say, hey, does God's word support the step I'm about to take, or do I need to do some business in my own life first? 
God can use their offense to reveal sin in our own life, in our own situations. And when that happens, we need to repent and seek forgiveness for that and, and be the one who says, hey, I made you cake. I'm sorry I sinned against you. Secondly, we need to book, we need to book our own heart. Kind of a heart check to really make sure we're grounded in the Word of God. Because grounding the situation in the, in the Word uh, helps to ground us in the Word. What, what I mean by that is saying, you know, am I seeking reconciliation or retaliation? So when we go to the Word of God, it's okay, what, what does the Bible say about this situation? It really, it's that heart check. Am I doing this because I want to get uh, um, payback? Do I, do I desire uh, hurting them back? Or do I really want a response of repentance. And as we begin to process what God's word says about the situation, it'll reveal our heart. So we need to book our own heart and be grounded in the word. Then we need to book the offense. We need to know, okay, so, so you're lied to, you're slandered against, uh, w- whatever it was. You need to look and say, okay, what does God's word say about that? And, and this is one of those cases where I think if you need advice, I, I get that, I understand that. You can, okay, I need someone to help me find, what, what does the Bible say about this? How do I even begin that search? Where do I find that answer? And you can do that in a way where you're not sharing personal details. Okay, so here's what Steve did. Okay, now what's the Bible say about that? Hey, you know what? A friend wronged me. This is what they did. What's God's word say about that? Can you help me find that? So you can do that in a way that's not gossip. Let me give you another example on that as far as uh, finding what does God's word say about this. So I have a two-year-old and a five-year-old at home, and so you can imagine every time they're told to do something, they listen, right? Spot on every time. Now, uh, one, of the, one of the common conflicts in our home is just disobedience, just not listening uh, to mom or dad. And you ever stop to wonder, why should kids listen to their parents? Seriously, why? What, what, what authority is in place that says, okay, you have to listen to mom and dad? And so... Well, I'm saying, okay, you sinned against me because I said to do this and you didn't do it. Well, if I go to Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verse 1, it talks about how children obey your parents as in the Lord. Okay. So their God, their creator, their Father in heaven who made them, in conjunction with nine painful months with my wife, made them, says you obey your parents. So their ultimate authority says your parents are an authority and you obey them. And so when I go to my daughter and I say, you have to listen to me, it's no, it's God is our God and we follow him and he says you need to obey your parents. And it says right here in Ephesians chapter 6, and obviously you have to tailor that for the different age, age groups and whatnot, um, but I'll pull my, my five-year-old aside and we'll have that conversation and say, hey, you're not obeying daddy. And why do you need to obey daddy? We'll, we'll open the text and we'll go to it and we'll see that. So we can do that in all aspects of lives as we're working together as believers to say, hey, you wronged me when you did this. I did? I didn't realize that. Well, let's look to Scripture. Let's see what the Bible says about that situation. Oh, wow, I didn't realize that. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And then we can move on. So we need to book it. We need to go alone and book it. Like I said before, Matthew 18, 15, 16, and 17, it's specific about church discipline. And, um, so the hope is at this point, when you confront someone, you, you know, you, you checked your own heart, you, you brought scripture, and you said, hey, you wronged me in this way. The hope is that they'll respond in, in like. They'll respond saying, hey, I didn't realize that, or I did, and I'm sorry, I repent, forgive me. And it's not just a simple, I'm sorry. You know, because an apology is almost just like, hey, I'm sorry that happened. 
But I think there's something significant. There's something powerful when you say the words, I was wrong, will you forgive me? And then to be able to respond on the heels of that with a quick, yes, I forgive you. And to be able to do that, that takes work. That's a process of, of like checking your own heart before you step in this situation to say, okay, when I confront them about this, if they repent and ask for forgiveness, am I ready to say, yes, I forgive you? So I'd encourage you as you work through conflict resolution to, to be thinking through that and to even add that as a tool in your home to be able to ask for forgiveness and offer forgiveness freely and quickly. But Matthew 18, like I said, is about church discipline and uh, almost so much specifically in the sense of where one person uh, in the church has sinned against another person in the church in a way that there's some witnesses. And it says if, if um, no one, if in the first step they don't respond, step two is to take some of those other witnesses and then go do the same thing, try to restore them. Uh, this is Matthew 18, 16 and 7, uh, verse 16 says, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So you have the person who's been offended, they take one or two, now you have a total of two or three who go and can say, hey, no, this is what we saw, this is what Scripture says, this is sin, let's deal with it. And that's the next step you can take there. We can almost uh, draw from this some other uh, examples where maybe we're in a different kind of situation than the one described here in Matthew 18. Um, so we've done that work of, okay, I've gone to them and they didn't respond. Well, what can we do? We can look at Romans uh, 12.8. We talked about how we, we can do all that's possible within us to live at peace with everyone. Maybe that means we've got to pull a, a mediator in, someone that we both respect, that both, both people who are in the conflict respect and will listen to that say, hey, help us figure this out. Maybe you need to pull someone else in. But keep being willing to do that work of fighting for conflict resolution to receive the gain that comes as you work through that pain. And if they don't respond to that, we see step three, Matthew 18, 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. In this context, they would see that as someone uh, who, who doesn't walk in the ways of God, as someone who is not uh, submitting their lives to the gospel in their daily living. So saying basically go to the elders and, and, and tell them. Again, the heart of this isn't gossip. The heart of it isn't tattling. The heart of this is restoration, to see your brother, to see your sister restored in a right relationship with God. So, so real quick in closing, what, what are some of the overall implications uh, of, of resolving conflict in a way that honors God? Well, the first one is this. We need to acknowledge that, that Jesus endured the ultimate conflict. He endured the ultimate pain for our gain. Not only did he go to the cross, not only did he, what was he beaten and ridiculed and mocked, but he was separated from the Father. Three days he was in hell. For those of us here who have placed our faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we'll never experience that. We'll never have to experience that. We'll never have to experience a separation from God on a spiritual level. But Jesus did for us. He, he bore the weight of the sins of the world. He went through all that pain for our gain. And because of that, it should motivate us, it should encourage us to respond in life, to be able to respond in the ways that he responds, to be able to work through pain for the sake of gain as we try to resolve conflict. We should try to live at peace and help others to live at peace. Those are the steps that we should take because of what Jesus went through. And then, Ultimately, the reality of this is we cannot live like this without togetherness. We can't live like this uh, without togetherness. And um, 
what I mean by that is, do you have people in your life that you can walk this road with, who can speak into your life, who have this ability to say, hey, you know what, you, you've wronged me. Or are we holding everyone at, at an arm's distance and not giving anyone an opportunity to walk this road with us? And so if, if you don't have people in your life that you can walk this road with, here's some great next steps. First one is this. Today, we just started putting coffee out in the lobby. It's free. Help yourself. Um, you know, if you like coffee, it's there. If you don't, there's a water cooler right next to it. Um, help yourself. I know it's not, not much. It's nothing fancy. But it's just a place we can gather. And just hang out for five minutes after service and maybe try to meet some new people or, or just one new person and begin to build some relationships with people who are on a similar journey as you who are trying to find out more about who Jesus is. Maybe you go to a Welcome to Meadowland class that we'll be offering in about a month uh, where it's an opportunity to get to know who we are and some of the next steps you can take beyond Sunday mornings. Maybe it's uh, filling out that communication card and saying, hey, I'm, I'm interested. Just let me know what the schedule is for home groups. Um, is there one in my area? Is there one on a Tuesday night because that's the only night I have free? Is there one on a Saturday morning? Is there one that's for couples? Is there one that's for just guys? You know, Just put interested in home groups and, and we'll, we'll call you this week. We'll follow up with you regarding that. Maybe you can jump on a serving team. Our, our children's ministry team is in full swing now. They do a great job of, of working with our kids, and they go far beyond simply making sure they're cared for. But they teach them the Word of God. They love on them, and they just care for them in a great way, and they have a blast doing it. And that's all the way from uh, newborns in our nursery all the way up to K-6 through six downstairs in the children's program to on, on uh, Wednesday nights, 7th through 12th grade is going strong. So all that stuff's going. If you want to have an impact in someone's life, um, that's a great place to do it. If you're not sure what your next step is, say, hey, I'd love to maybe serve in children's ministry. And that will give you an opportunity to work alongside other people in a small group and get to know some other people and do life together. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that we would be able um, to just follow your lead. Father, you, you endured such pain for our gain. And Father, as we uh, face conflict in our everyday lives, I ask that you would help us to approach it humbly, Father, to approach it in a way that desires restoration, in a way that desires to see your name glorified, in a way that desires to see uh, brothers and sisters gained back through repentance, to see new brothers and new sisters brought into the fold, into the family of God by finding out that you are Lord and that, that you are their Savior. I pray you would work in us, Father, as conflict and, and sin um, brings to light sin in our own lives and help us to repent and deal with that as well. Ultimately, Father, we look to you. As we face conflict in the days ahead, we look to you, Father. Meet with us, guide us, equip us, help us to do life together as we grow in this journey together because we are just a group of broken and imperfect people in need of a Savior. And so we thank you, Jesus, for being our Savior. In your name, amen.